Colossians chapter number one, verse 10. And I hope that's the prayer of your heart today, that last song, take my life and let it be consecrated to thee. And so I hope that's our prayer today as we start our third message in the series, Strengthen, out of Colossians chapter number one. And we're going to skip down to verse 10 to uh, save a little bit of time. Uh, so, because we read quite a bit of this already last week and the week before. And so Colossians chapter number one, verse 10, we of course are catching up with Paul here. He's in prison. He is writing to the church in Colossae, which is a city that he's writing to this group of Christians, this church in this city. He's never met them, but he knows about them through a fellow servant, a fellow laborer named Epaphras. And so Paul's writing to them. Look at verse 10. He says that ye, talking to this group of Christians, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord into all pleasing, being what's the next word? Fruitful, fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God strengthened, which is our theme for the year, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which made us meet to be partakers. That word meet uh, means to be appropriate, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Would you read verse 13 with me? And when you read it with me, read it with some gusto, okay? Here we go. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We could read that verse and go home, amen? That's a powerful verse. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Our gracious heavenly father, we come before you, Lord, ask for your help one more time before the message Work in us today, Holy Spirit, as we've been moved by the music. We understand and we agree and we say amen that you are worthy. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of all honor and glory and blessing. And God, we pray today that we would give our attention to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, uh, we continued the series on strengthened, and we understand this morning that... uh, To be strengthened, to grow in Christ, is something that we all must do. We never get to the point in our life where we have reached some kind of pinnacle in our spiritual life. We must keep growing. It is essential. I said it is essential. Church is essential. I thought I'd get one more, at least one more amen on that. Church is essential. Amen, it is. By the way, if you're joining us live today, thank you for joining us. We, we love you. We miss you when you're not here, but thank you for watching this morning. But the essentiality of our Christian growth is evidence in our life all the time. Hopefully, the majority of us recognize that we need to grow spiritually. We looked a few weeks ago at the enemies of our spiritual growth. Since 2020 ended and 2020 began, how many of you have experienced spiritual opposition in your life? to growing. And I have too. And I just want to remind you all today that the devil absolutely hates the fact that you chose to come to church today. He hates it. He hates the fact if you're at home, he doesn't want you to watch church. He doesn't want you to pray this week. He would rather that you just watch Netflix and and read the news and forget about it. Amen. But, But that's not what the Christian is to do. We are supposed to continue growing. Just as a recap, Three statements about Christian growth that we've mentioned several weeks. Number one, spiritual growth is not automatic. It's not automatic. Nothing grows properly without effort. Just like a newborn baby needs food, uh, needs shelter, needs clothing, 
needs attention, so does our, our Christian life. And we need to give our Christian life attention. We gave this out this morning, this, uh, this 10-day cleanse. And, and you, might, you might take this home and you might really like the pretty cover and you might really like the handsome pastor on the next page. No, I'm just kidding. You might take that home and, and you know what? It's, it's a blessing. It's a tool. But if you set that on your nightstand and you don't touch it for the rest of the, the week, it's not going to do any good. You, to, to grow spiritually takes effort. And all God's people said, amen. It doesn't happen automatically. Number two, spiritual growth is not linear. Some people think, well, I'm a deacon now, or I'm a Sunday school teacher now, or, and we think that if we reach this kind of level, or I'm this age now, or I've been in church this many years now, we think if we reach this certain level that we don't have to worry about spiritual growth because we've arrived. And the truth is this morning that that's not the way spiritual growth works. We said this a few weeks ago. This, the, the Christian life is not like a ship in the sea. A ship in the sea can stop, anchor out, back up. The Christian life is like an airplane. You got to keep going forward and you got to keep going upwards. Amen. If you stop in an airplane, you're in big trouble. And in the Christian life, it is the same way. And so it's not linear. We must continue to grow no matter where we are in our spiritual life. Some folks reach a level and then, boy, they're serving the Lord. And, boy, they're excited and they're, they're doing so well. And then all of a sudden life happens and distractions and discouragement. And we begin to slide backwards. And so here's the good news today. There's grace and the Lord loves us. And we can continue to get right back on track and keep growing. And so it's not linear. Lastly, spiritual growth is 100% of the time always worth it always worth it. I've never had one person in my entire Christian life come up to me and said, I cannot believe that I grew spiritually. It was the worst decision I ever made. I can't believe I went to church. That was such a dumb decision. No, no, that's not the way it works. Spiritual growth is always, always worth it. How many have figured that out in your life already? When we grow spiritually, we look back on that. We say, man, I'm so thankful that God has brought me to where I am today. And so spiritual growth, I was rejoicing Brother Alex this morning. He said, today's 10 years that you've been in church, right? 10 years. And, and I'm going to have him give his testimony one of these nights about what the Lord has done for him. And we rejoice with those milestones, but we want to continue to keep growing. We learned last week about the stages. We started learning about the stages of spiritual growth. I understand this is a little bit oversimplification, but to try to help us understand, we talked about the learning stage. So when we come to faith in Christ, when we get saved, we get born again, we have a lot of different terms for that. We begin following Christ in our life, whatever, however you term that. That action or that moment or that decision or that realization, that time in our life begins in faith. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we understand that faith is the catalyst. Why, are we, why do we begin to learn after that faith decision? Well, we learned in John chapter number 14, verse 26, Jesus says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. When you trust in Christ as your Savior, you are given the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God is the one that teaches us and helps us to learn. Because the Bible says in Corinthians that the natural or unsaved man cannot understand the things of God, for they are spiritually discerned. That's why when you look at your social media or you watch the news as a Christian and you see what's going on in the world, you think the world has lost their marbles. What in the world is going on? That's what the Christian thinks when they see the world. And we think to ourselves, self, what is going on in the world? 
Can they not see? Can they not understand what they're saying, what they're doing? And the truth of the matter is they cannot. They do not understand spiritual things. And so don't get so frustrated with the world. Amen? They have no idea. They're in darkness. All they know is their their own truth. And boy, that's a sad place to be. And so we understand this, this morning that Learning stage begins in faith, but it also continues in grace. 2 Peter 3.18, but we grow in grace. This is all review, by the way. We grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We know that God gives us grace to grow. How many of you expect your kids to be perfect? Don't raise your hand, Mom. <laughs> Never going to happen, amen? How many of you expect your kids to make mistakes? Of course. You are God's child. He knows you're going to make mistakes, so he allows us to grow in grace. He doesn't... Whack every time we mess up. Why? Because we're growing and he knows. And so we are growing in grace. That's how we continue to grow in the learning stage. And then what is the results of the learning stage? What does What is God after in our life? Fruitfulness. He wants us to bear fruit. That's why he left us here, to bring him glory. And we bring him glory by bearing fruit. Amen? All right, so that was all review. Are you done with the review? Are you ready to move on? Who's ready to move on? All right, who needs a cup of coffee? All right, we'll get you some coffee, amen. And uh, so we're ready to move on, some new material. We're going to talk about the next stage, and that is the light bulb stage. So we go from the learning stage to the light bulb stage. And I love this stage. It's my favorite stage. I love the light bulb stage. Say, Pastor, why do you love it so much? Because we are perpetually, perpetually in the light bulb stage. How many of you, God is constantly showing you things? You read your Bible. Brother Renna said, I love your devotion so deep. But God has shown you things in your Bible reading. And as you read your Bible and as you, you, you talk to God and as you come to church, boy, I love that when that light bulb goes off and God illuminates something and, and boy, it just changes. And so what is a light? What is the light bulb stage? What does that mean? Well, often we describe moments in our life when something we previously did not understand, we didn't get it. All of a sudden, it makes sense. And oftentimes we call that a light bulb moment. The light bulb goes off. And if you've had any significant uh, uh, light bulb moments in your life, and I have, you understand that that light bulb moment should bring some kind of change into your life. So I'll give you one of the first major light bulb moments of my life. Although I have to admit to you, I've had many, many light bulb moments in my life. But I'll give you one of them that's very special. My first son when he was born. I remember the first time you held your kid for the first time, your child. How many grandparents remember the first grandchild you held for the first time? And you love your grandkids more, right? But I remember the first time I, my son just turned 15 last week. And I remember when Ethan was born, and that was a whole, that's a whole story. And the Lord protected us there. And, and, uh, but he was born, and, and I, you know, it, was, it was not, didn't go the way we thought it was going to go. My wife was in labor 17 hours. It was a nightmare. And I'm a new dad. I'm standing in that hospital room, and I don't know what's going on. And and she ended up going, you know, having to go to get a C-section because it just didn't go right. And anyways, long story short, I remember when they brought him to me for the first time. And I looked in the face of that little boy. I had a light bulb moment. You know what the light bulb was? Uh-oh. I have no idea what to do with this thing. I even said, that I'm not making, I said this on the way out as we were leaving the hospital. My wife about backhand me. I said to the nurse, what do we feed it? <laughs> But you understand that in our life, we have a lot of those kind of moments. Significant change comes from significant realizations and those moments in our life when we uh, thought one way and then all of a sudden the light bulb went off and it changes our direction. It's that moment at work when you realize, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. 
and you go back to school. Or it's that moment in life when you step off the curb and you realize, man, I'm getting old. I need to start exercising. Or that moment in life when you realize, man, my parents were a lot smarter than I thought they were. We have these light bulb moments. But I'll tell you the most significant light bulb moments come when the Holy Spirit illuminates something in our hearts. And how many understand the Holy Spirit is always working in us? He wants to change us. He wants us to grow. And so the Holy Spirit, the most significant light bulb moments we experience are moments prompted by the Holy Spirit that influence a spiritual change. So last week, we, I drew for you last week that moment in time when we have faith, and that's the catalyst of, of faith, that moment in time. And then I drew at the end uh, the hope, and we understand that when we get saved, we only have this much time, listen, this much time to serve the Lord in our lives, and it's going to be over in the blink of an eye. How many think that Jesus might be coming back pretty soon? And so we, we ought to be ready for that. And so we understand that we have this moment in time. But in our life, we grow, we go into the learning stage, and then we grow into the light bulb stage. And why? Say, how, why does, how does that happen? How do we grow into that light bulb stage? Well, let's go back to the text here and let's look at what Paul says. Look at verse 11 again and look at it a little bit more closely here in Colossians chapter 1. Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power. All of this, by the way, is God's power, not us. All patience, long-suffering, joyfulness, giving thanks to the Father, which hath made us meet. That means appropriate or, or we, are, we, we measure up. In other words, he made us to measure up, to be partakers of the inheritance of saints and light who hath delivered us from what? The power of what? Darkness, you see, before salvation, before Christ, we are gripped by the power of darkness. And when we come to Christ, we come out of Christ, he, has, he brings us from the power of darkness into the light. And so this light bulb moment, these light bulb moments has a double meaning. Of course, it means a realization that we did not previously understand, but it also means we are illuminated to follow Christ in our life. Amen? To follow him. Yeah, last night I got up to do something in the middle of the night, and I forgot that our son, our six-year-old son, Callum, decided to sleep on our floor where we were. And I got up to go somewhere, and I kicked that poor kid right in the head, man. He's fine. He doesn't even know about it, okay, just so you know. And so, but, but I couldn't see. I was in the dark. I felt so bad. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Well, he's still asleep. But anyway, and, and, you know, when you're in the dark, when we, no wonder before we got saved, no wonder before we came to Christ, we were stumbling through life and we were confused and why we couldn't get over certain things and why we had so much pain and so much suffering because we're in the dark. Oh, but Jesus Christ saved us from that. And he brings us out of the power of darkness. What the Holy Spirit does for us is he illuminates us. He brings things to light. Christ delivers us from darkness. It is not God's desire that we live in darkness of sin. That is not his desire. God's desire is for us to experience those light bulb moments and grow in Christ. So having said all of that, let me give you my two observations here of things that happen in the light bulb stage. So a couple things that happen and some observations of what we experience there. So number one, uh, and I, and I, if you're taking notes, I only have two points today. Number one is this. When we're in the light bulb stage and we're learning and God is showing us some things, what happens? Number one, our faith in the word of God grows. How many have a Bible in your hand today or maybe a device you have it on there? But hold it up here real quick. You see this book right here. As we grow in that light bulb stage, we grow in our faith of this book. We learn in the light bulb stage, hey, I can trust what the Bible says. I can trust it with all my heart. 
I could do Proverbs chapter number three, verse five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all my ways acknowledge him and he shall direct my path. For his word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This book right here, when you are in the light bulb stage, God begins to show you that you can trust this book. Listen, you can trust this book. I said you can trust this book. I said you can trust it. With your life, with your decisions, with your family, with your finances, in your home, at your job. You can trust this book. You can't trust a man. You can't even trust people sometimes. Sometimes you can't trust family. You can't trust the news. You can't trust politicians. There is nothing you can ultimately put your faith and trust in other than this book right here in God, Jesus Christ himself. And so we have this book. And so as we grow in this light bulb stage, we learn, hey, I can trust the Bible. I can trust it. Take your Bibles, please, and go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, the question comes to mind. Is, is the Bible really God's word? Can I trust the Bible? Well, isn't it just written by man? Uh, uh, the answer to that question, the simple answer to that question is God is the author of the Bible. He used 40 different pens, but God is the author of the Bible. God authored the Bible on over three, more than three different continents in three original languages over a 1,500-year time span, but God authored the Bible. That's why you can take 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages over a 1,500-year time span, and it's cohesive, and it makes sense. If I told everyone here today to, 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 to write something down, it would not look the same. That's all I'm going to say right there. But anyway, uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, look at verse 11. As ye know, Paul says, how we exhort and comfort and charge every one of you as a father doth his children, that you would walk worthy of God, who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. Now, Paul says something very interesting here. He says in verse 13, for this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when ye Receive the word of God, which ye received of us. Ye received it not as the what? Word of men, but as in the, but as it is in what? Truth, the word of God. It is the truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. We find here, Paul is writing another letter yet to another congregation. And he's rejoicing because he's thanking God. Because the people there received the word of God as the word of God, not just as some kind of opinion. And this is really the catalyst of the light bulb stage. I heard a story about a missionary in Africa who was able to get it to where in this little village of his, they were able to get electricity to this village. And there was only one light bulb in the whole village. And it was in his hut. He had one light bulb that he had somehow installed. And some villagers came from another town over and they came in and they saw this light bulb hanging there. And they were so excited that finally, you know, there was a light. You could have, we could have light, you know, electricity. And so they asked the missionary for a light bulb. And he thought, well, sure, you know, you could have some light bulbs. And so he gave him some light bulbs. A few months later, he was out making his rounds and he went to this village where they, to see how the light bulbs were working out. And he walked into the, the hut where the people were and they, was just, they just had a light bulb tied to a string from the ceiling. And of course, it wasn't working. Why? It wasn't connected to electricity. Amen. It wasn't connected to the power. And listen, this morning, we have no power. I said, we have no power outside of God's word in our life. Zero. Zero. Our opinion doesn't matter. Somebody help me now. Amen. I will do the wave up here. Our opinion doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is the, the, God's word. If we're going to say something, it must be deeply entrenched and rooted in the word of God. If we're going to make a decision, it must be deeply entrenched and rooted in the word of God or we will have no power. We realized this morning that the Bible is truth. It is God's word, not man's. The Bible is our supreme authority, not in a person. Listen, not in a church or a denomination, certainly not in a pastor or a politician or a teacher or a philosopher, but God's word is the perfect, inspired, infallible word of God. It's the truth. When we begin to take God's word for what it says and apply it to our lives, we are going to experience some light bulb moments when we just do what it says. And I know, listen, I know that it's easier said than done. When you read a verse in the Bible and it goes against your lifestyle, the Bible says, it's not good that this, it's, we shouldn't do that. And the Holy Spirit's putting things in your mind right now. And we think, man, well, maybe it was a cultural reference. No. Well, maybe it was just, that was Paul's opinion. Sorry, it wasn't Paul's opinion. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Bible is plenary inspired. That means that God breathed the words into the pen of a man. Yes, his skills and yes, his life experiences come into play, but the Bible was authored by God. So if it's in the book, that means God wanted it in the book. You can take your sharp pen knife and cut out passages you don't like, but listen, that's on you. God said, my, my word is inspired. It's perfect. It's, it's for you and I've given it to you. And we sometimes it's hard when we read it. We think, man, I got to change that, Lord. Yes, you do. Amen. But that's the light bulb moments because we realize that God does those things for our good. In 1999, John F. Kennedy Jr. flew his small plane from New York City up to his Massachusetts home. And even though he was a licensed pilot, he was not certified to fly the pilot by instrument only. And so his wife was on the plane. I believe his sister-in-law was on the plane. And their flight was delayed. And so they waited until it was dark. And John F. Kennedy Jr. should have waited until the next morning or had a pilot fly them, but he did not. And in his own thinking, he thought he could do it. And so they took off. And of course, you know the story. The plane never made it. It crashed. All the passengers were killed. Investigators determined that the crash was likely caused by disorientation. Flying the airplane over water at night without any landmarks or the horizon Kennedy's lack of experience may have led him to trust what he thought was what he thought was seeing, and he did not follow his instrument panel, and he ended up paying the ultimate price. At every stage in our life, we're tempted to trust in our own capabilities. We're tempted to trust in our own experiences, our own feelings. We fly through the darkness, uh, through this life, and as people, sometimes we think, well, I'm just going to listen to my own truth. But if our own truth doesn't match up with the truth of God's word, we're going to fly straight into the water. We should not trust our own experiences. We should not trust our own thinking. How many have ever felt a certain way? And then later on, your feelings change. Feelings change and experiences aren't all truth. But the Bible, the word of God is all truth. It's our supreme authority. It is our dashboard. It is our instruments. And so we have that. And it's a wonderful thing to have the word of God. What happens when our faith in the Word of God grows? Number one, our faith in the Word of God grows. The second observation I see, number two, is our obedience to the Word of God grows. As our faith grows, our obedience grows. When I was growing up as a kid, I didn't always have faith in my parents that they had my best interest in mind. How come I can't eat, bre How come I can't eat candy for breakfast, Mom? What's wrong with candy? It's an all, oh, look, they're even the color of fruit. 
And how many understand kids shouldn't eat candy for breakfast? Only half of you raised your hand, but I'm going to move on real quick here. But as I became older, the older I got, and the more I realized that they know what they're talking about, my faith in them grew, and so did my obedience. That's the way it should be. As we realize, man, my parents know what they're doing. They've been at this a lot longer than I have. But this is what happens for us Christians when it comes to the Bible. When we experience these light bulb moments and the Holy Spirit illuminates things and we realize, man, living for God and obeying God and doing the things the way that he says I should do them is so much better than living for myself. Light bulb. We begin to obey more and more and more. When we first get saved, most of our life is lived for self and in sin. But as we grow in Christ, we ought to begin to live for God more and for self and sin less. That's the way it's supposed to work as we grow. So what happens when our obedience to God starts replacing our obedience to self? When instead of choosing to follow our own flesh and our own decisions and we decide to follow God, what are some things that happen? And this is the exciting part, letter A, we grow in our passion for God. We grow in our passion for Him. Take your Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. Boy, when we start to grow in this light bulb stage and we start to, God starts to illuminate things in our life, we start to see uh, His plan for us. We start to see his, uh, his, the truth of His word and how it affects us. Boy, we start to have a passion and a hunger and a thirst for God. Boy, I want more of God. Boy, when I experience the blessings of God, I want to experience more blessings of God. And I have that passion for God in my life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When we come to Christ and we are in Him and we start to develop that passion for Him, we start to get rid of all this old stuff out here and we start to bring in that new stuff that he has for us because we realize how much better it is. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me as we live in Christ. And by the way, we, we live in Christ. When you're saved, you are placed in Christ and Christ in you, you are one with him. And as we grow in Christ and we develop that passion for him, it's just a wonderful, wonderful experience. Just a side, kind of a side note here, but a doctrinal thing I want to point out is that as we are growing in our Christian life and we're growing in our passion for God, let's be very careful to realize that we're not growing in our salvation. You don't, we don't grow in our position with God. So he, remember when Christ died on the cross, on this cross, and he shed, not this cross, but a cross symbolizing a cross. When he died on the cross and shed his blood for our sin, he forgave us of our sin and cleansed us from all unrighteousness. So we stand in Christ, what? Forgiven. I said, we stand in Christ, forgiven. So I'm not trying to earn my salvation. I don't do all of this. I don't grow. I don't have a passion for God so that I can earn some kind of position with God. No, I have a position with Christ. I am in Christ. I am a new creature. Old things are passed away now. I am in Christ. So yes, I might be doing good today. Boy, I might fail tomorrow, but my position stays the same in Christ. And so we want to make sure we understand that we're not fighting. We're not, excuse me, we're not uh, growing and we're not trying for some more salvation. No, no, we're in Christ but we are, are growing in our passion for God. 
How many of you have a hobby that you're passionate about? Ben, what's your hobby? Building cars. Who has a hobby you're passionate about? Hobby you're passionate Brother Renison? Custom ink pens. Who else? Yes, sir. Fishing. Now you stole mine. All right, who else? Who else? Yes, ma'am. Cooking. Amen. Your husband loves eating too. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's why you run. That's right. We, many of us have hobbies that we, we love to do. And I was going to mention fishing. Fishing. Fishing, amen. I just invented a word, fishing. I love to fish. But you know what I found about fishing? It's interesting. My wife, once in a while, she'll say, did you get that out of your system? No. When I go fishing, it makes me want to go fishing more. You say, well, what happens when you get skunked and you don't catch anything? It just makes, it just drives me. I got to go fishing until I catch something. And what if you catch a bunch of fish? Man, that was awesome. I can't wait to go fishing again. Because when you love something, you're passionate about it. The more you do it, the more you want to do it. That's the way it is in growing, when you're growing in Christ. Man, when you start submitting to the Bible and you start reading his word and you start realizing what it does in your life and you start realizing the joy and the peace and the wonderful things that come with walking with God, when you start to experience that in your life and you start to have that passion for Christ in your life, you just want more of him. You say, God, Christ, I want more of you and I want more of you and I want more of you. And the more you have of him, the more you want of him. Boy, isn't it wonderful to grow in your passion for God? That's the light bulb stage. I want to grow in my passion for him. I want to grow in my obedience to his word. The more light, the more light I see in my life, the more I have a passion for that light. When we realize that God is right, if I obey, I am blessed. If I follow his word, there is peace, there is joy. You can get passionate about that, amen? And lastly, what else happens here when we grow in our obedience? Lastly today, let her be. And really, this is the goal that Paul his desire for the Colossians is that we grow, let her be, in production for God. That we grow in our production for God. Now, we don't like that word production. It kind of has a negative connotation, but we ought to be productive for God. Now, let me say that again, drive it home. We ought to have a desire as Christians to be productive for God in our life. We want to produce fruit for God. We want to do something for God. Listen, I don't want to live my life, Patrick. I don't want to live my life and die and not do something for God in my life. I want to do something for the Lord in the short life that God has given me. I want to show my kids and I want to leave my children something that their father has done, not for myself, but for God. And listen, in your life today and in your context today, we ought to have a desire to be productive for God. That's what Paul said. He said to that church, he says, my desire is that you walk worthy and bear fruit in all things and walk in God. Second Peter chapter three, verse 17 says this. It says, ye therefore beloved, seeing as you know these things, beware lest ye be led away with the error of the wicked and fall from your own steadfastness. But keep growing, he says, keep growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory now forever and ever. Amen. Sometimes when we think about growth, we think, that people uh, like people have come into a position and they're growing in that position or they're growing in this uh, and they reach a certain level. Oh, uh, that person, boy, he's really grown uh, into the position of a CEO or grown into the position as a mother or grown as a mother. And so we kind of have that connotation, but that's not how the growth and God works. We don't grow in God for position. I said, we don't grow in God for position. There are no lieutenants, sergeants, and captains in heaven. We're all the same under the blood. Amen. We all come to the cross, the same sinner 
sinners saved by grace. Isn't that what the disciples struggle with? They came to Christ. They said, who is the greatest? Who's going to be the man in heaven? Jesus says, Jesus says, that's not, you're missing the point here. The greatest among you will be servant of all. You see, we're not trying to grow in our, uh, our, our, uh, how awesome we are or in our position. No, no, no. We're growing in our production for God. God doesn't give out promotions or rank. <laughs> There's no Christian of the Month award in heaven. I'm really glad we're all just sinners saved by grace. <laughs> just trying to serve the Lord. Just trying to live our lives. And so let's not get wrapped up in how good of a job we're doing. That's not the point. The point is, though, we want to be fruitful. We want to bring forth fruit. And we do that by increasing in the knowledge of God. What happens when we stop learning? What happens when we stop having those light bulb moments? I assure you this morning that you don't lose your salvation. We don't lose our position. You cannot lose something you did not earn. If you could not earn to gain it, how can you lose it? I had somebody ask me a question about that after church. And if you have questions about eternal security, I'd love to sit down with you and talk to you about it. But think about this. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. If I cannot earn salvation by works... How can I keep salvation by works? And so we understand that we're not, work, we're not earning our position. But what happens when we lose our passion? What happens when we stop learning? We stop producing. One of the clearest and most devastating marks of a dead tree is that it doesn't bring forth fruit anymore. In my yard at, over in Stockton there, we have some trees that we planted. I don't know what happened, but we planted this avocado tree and uh, it just died. I mean, it's just brown and there's a peach tree there as well, and that peach tree is an old tree. It's probably a 20-year-old peach tree, and it's just not bringing forth fruit. It's, it's gone. It's, it's lost its purpose. It's lost its production. And as Christians today, we don't lose our position in Christ when we lose our passion for Christ, but we lose our production for Christ. So perhaps today, in our life, we need to take a hard look at our life, me included. Am I being fruitful in my Christian life? Am I bringing forth the fruits of the Spirit? Am I bringing forth fruits that are uh, for the Lord in my life? Perhaps we're not bearing fruit the way that we used to. Perhaps we're struggling to grow past some sin or bitterness. You say, Pastor, I am struggling with that. And by the way, I'm almost done. I'm literally going to pray here in just a second. I understand that in our life, we all have moments in time where we're not as fruitful as we should be. And all God's people said, amen. I'm there too. I think about this last season of 2020. Talk about hard trying to serve the Lord during 2020. We all have those, those times in our life, but here's the key. And this is why some of us don't grow. Don't grow. And here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Am I willingly, willfully ignoring or disobeying God's word in my life? That's the question we need to all ask ourselves. More than likely in your life, if you've stopped growing, it's because God has shown you something in his word and you're ignoring it, or you're disobeying it. And before I get too hard on you, we've all been there. And all God's people said, because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we've all been there. But if we want to have growth in our life, we have to decide. If the Bible says it, I'm going to obey it. Growing up, I'll finish with this. Growing up, I wasn't a huge fan of math. Anybody else besides me? Mrs. Perry, do you like math? You don't, you don't like me. She's a teacher in our school. You don't like math? I just wasn't a big fan of math. And I remember I went to a school when I, I think I was in sixth grade, fifth or sixth grade. 
And some of you who've been in Christian schools in your life, you might know what I'm about to say. But I was introduced to a Becca math. Has anybody ever done a Becca math? Lord, have mercy on your soul. Amen. Difficult math. And I remember I was introduced to that. And, and as a young person, I remember sitting in that class just struggling, trying to understand. I'm saying this to encourage you today, okay? So get ready for an encouragement. <laughs> but I remember sitting there thinking, man, I just, I don't get it. I, I, I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to understand. And I look at the, the, the math, and it was like Greek on the paper. And I'm like, what is going on? Well, what? I just don't get it. I just couldn't get it, brother. That's really, I couldn't, especially I started getting into algebra too. I just could not. I was having a hard time with math. But you know what? I had a teacher who cared about me, who lovingly, patiently, kindly sat down and taught me math. And I remember Brother Asprelli many times sitting down with her and she'd say, now look, look at it this way. Now watch, no, look at this. And I remember those light bulb moments. Oh man, how come I didn't see that before? And the light went off and I began to learn that math. You know, in our life sometimes we kind of get that way where we just cannot seem to make it work. There's things in life that we just aren't adding up and we're struggling and, and we're frustrated. But can I just tell you, you have a heavenly father that loves you. He loves you so much and he's patient and he's long suffering. And if you'll just stay at the table and if you'll just sit there and keep learning and increasing and keep listening to him, he will show you the math and the light bulb will go off. Let's pray together today.